You say you're a rude boy. You also say you can't go to jail. But you live in a glass house, so don't throw stones. Welcome to the program. You are tuned into Jazz Euphorium here, CKUT 90.3 FM. My name is Aaron. Wanted to lead with uh, the theme music from Roots Rock Rebel because it's been a minute. Uh, I used to host this show on CKUT and uh, stopped doing it just over a year ago. Back now. And well, why am I in this time slot 8 to 10 right before the old Roots Rock Rebel time slot? Well... We have a really wonderful show lined up for you tonight on Jazzy Forum. We are going to be looking at the jazz roots of ska and reggae. So whether you are a Caribbean music fan, a jazz fan, a fan of good music, get yourselves comfortable because this is going to be a wonderful program. We are going to go down to Sao Paulo, Brazil, and check in with Victor Rice, who is a mastermind in the ska jazz world, uh, the producer behind many seminal albums in the genre. I had a chance to speak to him earlier today, so we have a fabulous in-depth discussion with him to get to. In fact, this music that you're hearing in the background right now, he composed it. So yeah, big up to Victor Rice. Do stay tuned for that, but plenty of great ska and jazz to get to in the next two hours. Do stay with us.
some Miles Davis like you've never heard him before. This is Jeremy Taylor and friends right here from a beautiful LP released on Secret Stash Records a few years ago, just called Reggae Interpretation of Kinda Blue. This is, of course, classic So What. And, uh, you know, I was, I was actually just looking around online uh, trying to find some info about this album and it was very very hard to come by beyond you know of course a bunch of like discogs and amazon posts about it which i always kind of like that when there isn't that much info online about a record and it makes you curious and makes you dig deeper so let's just enjoy this very unique interpretation of kind of blue done reggae Thank you. 
from New York City right here. Dave Hilliard and other Rocksteady 7. Dave Hilliard, of course, on tenor sax, being backed up by some of the best players of the New York City ska scene. This is from their debut album of the same name, Playtime, put out on Hellcat Records. You're listening to Jazz Euphorium, CKUT 90.3 and going all around the world at ckut.ca. My name is Aaron. Used to be in here, of course, every Wednesday night, a little bit later than this, hosting Roots Rock Rebel, which is a ska and reggae show. So I wanted to come in here tonight to do this jazz show, to kind of look at some of the uh, jazz roots of ska and reggae and look at this often unexplored genre of ska jazz. And to help us in this adventure... We are going to go down to Sao Paulo, Brazil, in just a little bit and check in with uh, someone who's been at the core, the root of the movement since its inception, since even that term ska jazz as a hyphenation came about. I'm talking about Victor Rice, brilliant musician, musical thinker, philosopher, producer all around. But, you know, of course, we can't really talk about ska reggae music of course that going back to the island of jamaica and for me when i listen to that you know original pioneering ska being produced out of kingston jamaica by you know sir coxone dodd and the scatolites you can't help but hear the jazz influences in that so we're going to go now to some music from don drummond catch the jazz in here
All right, it's 8.20 in the evening. You're still tuned in to Jazzy Forum here on CKUT. My name is Aaron. So happy to have you with us as we explore the jazz roots of ska and reggae music. Started that set off with Don Drummond, who is one of the founding members of the Scatolites, who invented that beat that we call ska. And uh, so he was their trombone player. We heard Four Corners. After that, a track credited to the Scatolites that was Dance the Ska. And right now we're hearing the brilliant, funky organ sounds of Jackie Maitu. This is Black Organ. And uh, a little bit of a Canadian connection there. Jackie Maito actually lived out the last few years of his life in Toronto, where he was very active right up until the end, playing with a lot of bands up there in the beautiful Jamaican community of the Six. <laughs> I can't believe I just called it that. <clears throat> Got a lump in my throat because of it. Anyways, we have a wonderful show lined up for you. We're going to be getting to an in-depth interview with Victor Rice, who is a musician originally from New York, played in some of the seminal ska bands in New York City, like the Scofflaws and the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble, before relocating to Sao Paulo, Brazil in the early 2000s, where he continues to produce with many top-shelf Brazilian bands. So we caught up with him down there earlier today, and uh, the conversation was absolutely phenomenal. Victor is a brilliant, brilliant musical thinker, and I'm just so excited to bring that interview to you all. First, we're going to hear a couple short words from our sponsors when we come back. That feature interview with Victor Rice and lots more music, so don't go anywhere. The 20-meter bleep test starts in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Regan of Vox Theatre presents Docile Bodies, a multidisciplinary adaptation of Foucault's Discipline and Punish at La Chapelle Sang Contemporaine, May 10th to 13th. Six soldiers question, glorify, and remember the ways their bodies and minds have been chiseled and influenced by the institution of the military. Wigan Box's mandate is to find the progressive and radical potential of performance by using experimental methods and practices. Docile Bodies, May 10th to 13th at La Chapelle Sans Contemporaine. For more information and ticket purchases, find us on Facebook at Wigan Box, a CKUT co-presentation. The 33rd Festival International de Musique Actuelle de Victoriaville will be held May 18th to the 21st, 2017. On the program, Bill Coleman and Gordon Monaghan's dance theater show Dollhouse, Colin Stetson's sorrow post-rock opera, Terry Riley and his son Gian Riley, Bent Nee, Senyawa, XI, Nels Klein, and much more. Join us for four days of concerts, a sound art installations in public spaces circuit, two experimental short film programs, and a visual arts exhibition. For more information or to purchase tickets, visit femov.qc.ca. From May 18th to the 21st, 2017, come to Victo for 33rd FEMOV. 
8.24 p.m. Welcome back to Jazzy Forum here on CKUT 90.3 FM and going all around the world at CKUT.ca. My name is Aaron. So uh, glad to be back here with you all this evening to uh, bring you an in-depth look and an adventure into the depths of ska jazz. As I said, we're going to get to an interview with uh, Victor Rice right now that I recorded earlier today from his home in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Just before moving to Brazil, uh, we're going to hear a cut that Victor recorded off of an album. It's a solo album of his at Version City. Excuse me. And um, yeah, this is, uh, I think, a brilliant example of ska and jazz because uh, Virgin City, for those of you who might not be familiar with it, it's it's a very kind of ska particular thing. But it was a really important studio, actually not in New York, um, excuse me, it was in New Jersey, but just outside of New York, uh, run by King Django, another huge figure on the uh, New York ska scene of the late 80s and early 90s. So a lot of musicians would go on to record there, including the Slackers, who we're going to be talking about later. And so again, uh, you know, jazz and ska, just a very natural fusion because of a lot of the uh, horn-driven rhythms and uh, the fact that ska is so malleable. And so uh, we're going to hear Victor uh, just kind of waxing poetic about it. But first, some music from Victor Rice at Version City. This is Agenda. Thank you. 
special guest for the evening all the way from Sao Paulo, Brazil. We have, I'd say, one of the key figures uh, in the sense of the history of ska jazz, Victor Rice. Victor, welcome to the program. Aaron, thanks so much for uh, for calling me up. This is great. Yeah. And you know, it's been a while since we talked. Uh, I've had you on uh, the show. I used to do Roots Rock Rebel a few times. You were also, in fact, the uh, the composer of the theme music uh, for Roots Rock Rebel. So if I never got to thank you on the air for that, I want to thank you now because uh, it, it was so nice to hear your work every week uh, when, I, when I went on the air with that show. I really enjoyed making that. I, I knew I knew what I wanted to do as soon as you asked me. It just it it all came to me at once, you know. So, uh, my, really, my pleasure. That was really fun. It was great to hear it every week. Awesome. All right. So yeah, like we are gonna be kind of going back into the vaults uh, with you, talking about a lot of um, Scott jazz albums you've been involved with, either as a musician or producer over the years. We'll be talking about your own solo work, what you've been up to in Brazil. Um, but first, uh, okay, so people aren't familiar with, with your work. You're someone like you, you'd been playing in the New York scene in the 90s and then relocated to Brazil uh, in the early 2000s, if I'm not mistaken. Um, That's right. But yeah, tell us maybe like a little bit about like some of your influences and like what led you to playing this kind of like jazz infused ska and reggae that you play today. Well, I think it's important to uh, talk about this because I didn't go straight into a ska band from uh, from nothing. I was already in conservatory. I was already in Manhattan School of Music studying orchestral double bass and uh, and also playing in all the uh, in as many jazz groups as I could while I was there. The jazz school was just getting started at that time in like '85. And when I got out of school in '91, I was already playing with the Scofflaws, uh, a band from my hometown in Long Island. And uh, uh, what attracted me to them was um, I had been listening actually to a lot of Eastern European folk music because I was studying Bartok in particular, mm. Bella Bartok. And, but also, uh, as a composer, I was studying, whether I knew it or not, but I, I, I was really getting extremely affected by, uh, influenced by Wayne Shorter and his Blue Note recordings that he played, uh, you know, because I had first heard of him through Weather Report, but it wasn't until a few years later I started hearing his, his straight ahead stuff and, and uh, or however you want to call it compared to Weather Report, and, uh, and it just blew me away, the composition. So I had, I was kind of looking at Don Drummond from the Scatolites as uh, uh, with 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 one ear in Bulgaria and the other ear in like New York City, uh, and uh, uh, so for me, I saw 
I saw Skia music as a uh, um, the fact that it was instrumental and dance oriented that I could um, it just seemed to me like a, a great material to use for for compositions. Mm-hmm. Um, also, as a bass player, any form of Jamaican music is so agreeable isn't even the, the beginning of it because you know the, there's such a priority the bass has such a, melo- a melodic um function in reggae music sure. and and in ska music it's not as melodic but there's this cuban influence that always interested me huh. uh in the bass lines and um and i guess that's that's it all came together and i saw it as like fertile ground at the time for writing uh simple but sort of Simple instrumentals, but something you know, tricky stuff maybe. But as long as it was danceable, it was. Uh, it, I saw it as an opportunity. And I mean, like we're going to be talking about like a lot of like North American, like American and Canadian bands. But I think it's always like essential when whenever we're talking about ska to kind of go back and, and, and look at the Jamaican roots. One thing that's interesting, I want to go back to um, an album that you produced. 20 years ago now, I guess this came out in 1997. It's the Articles, a band from Detroit, Flip For Real. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more in depth about it in just a little bit, but you wrote the liner notes to this album. And, and one thing that, that I really like that you say in there is, um, ska and jazz might seem like distant idioms to a listener of contemporary ska or jazz, but play Charlie Parker to a Prince Buster fan, and you'll get a nod of recognition. Play the Scatolites to a Sonny Rollins fan, you'll get a similar response so maybe like if you could kind of like look uh, like go back and look at some of these older Jamaican pioneers of ska music like like what would you say would have been like the jazz influence there well the the jazz influence I think would have been indirectly through the R&B music that was getting to the island in in the early 60s um, via radio from Florida, from Miami, and from New Orleans, but also via vinyl that was coming in. People were selling stuff. Uh, there was a market for American R&B. So there's there's a jazz influence that came in directly through that. Uh, there's a jazz influence that came through uh, the Cuban influence as well. I think, uh, uh, and also I think there's a jazz aesthetic in the way the band was playing. Um, the horns had a lot of freedom, a lot of leeway to direct, you know, uh, the, the the structure of the tunes. So uh, you could hear there was some improvising even in, in the form, you know, that maybe, you know, uh, uh, maybe like Tom Drummond would come in one bar early or a bar late, you know, to with the last head. And it was respected and, and you know, followed by the rest of the band. And, and I think that's that's pretty beautiful you know I think that that kind of um, improvising the form in fact you know that the form is open enough that people are, you know you have to be listening on at that moment to be uh, to be able to respond correctly and that's jazz for sure alright so to kind of go back as I said I want to go back and look at some of these amazing albums that you were involved in some of them from like the 90s or the early 2000s now one band that I would say is like a pretty key band from New York that I am almost sure like coined that term ska jazz are of course the New York ska jazz ensemble who 
Uh, they're still playing today, but you played on some of their earlier albums. Uh, now, one of them that was like one of my favorites uh, from 1998 is uh, Get This. So you played bass on that album. Uh, New York Sky Jazz Ensemble, really interesting band in the sense that like, I always felt like Moon Records at the time, which was like a huge global ska record label based out of New York, always kind of held them up as like, kind of like their their marquee ska jazz band and also like an all-star band of sorts because there's of course members from like um, uh, the Toasters in there, the Scatolites, yourself from the Scofflaws. Um, but yeah, tell us a little bit more about like the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble and like how that project came together. Well, for me, it was a really, really exciting time musically to be in a ska band because uh, the Scatolites were still in their you know, top form, and and they had a lot of um, a lot of influence on everyone in New York at the time, uh, especially with the Scofflaws and and uh, and the Scofflaws. We were in a great position. We had we had this amazing drummer named Tony Mason uh, that came into the band with me from school, and uh, we had Carrie Brown come in on the keyboards. Um, the one guy from the Toasters that uh, that would play with the Scofflaws at the time was uh, Freddie, Fred Ryder, uh, Rocksteady Freddie, tenor player. And we used to do some shedding together, and we used, to, we used to work out a lot of harmonic ideas and stuff. So, I mean, there was definitely, there were jazz players in all of these bands, people who had come from, from jazz into, into ska. Right. So there was that. And also there was, you know, this was like 94 maybe. I can't remember the first record that Scott Jazz did. Definitely coined the phrase. Uh, Freddie and, and Rick Faulkner, who's also an amazing uh, student of jazz history and, and uh, an amazing trombonist. And it was the two of them that decided to put the band together. So uh, with them, they, you know, I think I may have brought Carrie Brown or they may have, you know, we... In fact, I think the, the first time I heard about the idea, yeah, was at Carrie's wedding. <laughs> All of us were hanging out at the wedding and, and there was this um, there was this conversation in you know, in the back by the pool, it was really quiet and we we're having a smoke, me, Freddie, Rick, and they hatched this idea on me. And I was like, Oh, it's perfect, you know, the timing is right, you know, the people are right. Um, it just can't get us so easily. And, uh, and, and and with a lot of help from the toasters at Moon Records, because at the time, you know, uh, there was a really good infrastructure. Things were working mm. at the time, you know, financially, musically, there were there were gigs to play. There were a lot more opportunities at the time. It was really a, a perfect storm for uh, a creative for a creative project to come out of it. You know, something more um, more heady than than the stuff that you know was getting out there at the time. For sure. Yeah. Scott Jazz Ensemble right here. You know what? I'm I'm gonna rewind this tune right now because you you just gotta hear this one from the beginning. This is amazing right here. Here we go, Jazzy Forium, 
New York Ska Jazz Ensemble with Filthy Mick Nasty. some of these albums that I wanted to talk about. So I, I just mentioned this one, The Articles. They're a band from Detroit. And uh, you produced their album, Flip For Real, also on Moon Records. 
came out 20 years ago in 1997. Uh, this, to me, again, is like just a brilliant example of very, very jazz-driven ska music. So tell us a little bit about the articles on Flip For Real. I'm really happy with that record. I can listen back to that now, and, and uh, it's still I still enjoy um, the sounds that they made, and as well as the songs, and uh, and and the amount of uh, the amount of space they gave to improvising, and, and how much how the, the priority that they gave to these uh, to this this aspect, the jazz aspect of playing ska. They were definitely the first band that I knew that sort of grokked what the Scott Jazz was doing and saw it as like a genre. Mm. Um, even though they're, and, and now you can see, especially uh, the name Scott Jazz, there's, there seems like there's a Scott Jazz ensemble for every city now, you know? Right. And, and so the name itself became a genre. And actually that is, a lot of that is owing to their extensive touring history. I mean, the Scott Jazz, the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble has been in more countries than I think I'll ever get to see in my life. I mean, this band, you know, has a reach that's really amazing. And uh, an aesthetic reach, not only a physical reach, they can play in so many different places, but also they they work at a ska show and they work at a jazz festival just as well. Mm -hmm, and sure. so there's tremendous influence. And I think um, the idea of using the the... the the hyphen, the Scott Jazz moniker, I don't know how much that helped these bands. Only they could tell me, you know, how much this helped the, you know, the bands in their respective cities. You know, St. Petersburg, uh, I mean, as far as, I mean, there's so many Scott Jazz ensemble that I'm trying to remember some of them now. There's one in Santiago, in the Chile. Rotterdam, Rotterdam, Scott Jazz. Fashion. Rotterdam. Yeah. Uh, um, there's so many uh, uh, in the east, northeast of Italy has one, mm -hmm. um, and they're all you know they all got the right head for it. These are all people who are you know trying to include the old the old tunes, you know, the old standards, which is something that uh, uh, Scatolites had in common with the, you know jazz musicians from the beginning. Is we're playing old bebop as well, you know. Right. Yeah. So uh, so I think a lot of I mean, that's, it's an amazing, I mean, there are two, there are two reasons I think that uh, the, the genre became what it did. One is because there was a, a certain marketing strategy, I guess, to it. But really, I think it didn't help any band more than the original, the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble. I think they're, they're the ones who benefited most from this, uh, this thing becoming a genre. Mm -hmm. So like moving away a little
Detroit's music right here from the articles coming out of Detroit. This is Flip For Real going back all the way to 1997, an album put out on Moon Sky Records. We're hearing, of course, a Thelonious Monk standard, Well You Needn't. This is this has to be one of my favorite ska jazz albums. Just a beautiful, beautiful record. If you can find it anywhere, do give a listen. Anyways, we're going to get back to that interview with Victor Rice from Sao Paulo just a little bit. Strictly Ska Jazz, another album that I wanted to talk to you about because, again, you produced it, was by a band from Chicago, The Adjusters. They had maybe a bit of a shorter run. I think, well, they, they put out three albums, and but each of their albums, for me, just represented something completely unique and, and completely revolutionary in terms of where they're going with their genre. And I say it's moving a little bit away from ska jazz because if you listen to their records, you're going to hear a lot more like traditional ska. And of course, soul was like a huge part of their sound. Um, now, so if we're talking about, I wanted to talk about the album Before the Revolution, which, uh, you know, again, you produce and it's one of my favorites by the band. And in the liner notes for that, you wrote like, um, what makes this band great to you is that they're smart, they're social democrats, they're jazz musicians, mod, and they can dance. So tell us more about The Adjusters and what it was like making that album before the revolution. That record was difficult, man. Let me tell you, that was, a, a, that was the first time, because I was coming from another school of using the studio. Like, uh, you know, with my band, we would rehearse we were rehearsing for months in sections, just the horns, just the rhythm section. We were rehearsing exactly the way we would record in the studio. And, uh, and by the time we got in there, we used so little time. We played everything more or less live. And, uh, um, and, we, and we got done with that record so quickly because we were so rehearsed and we knew exactly what we were going to do when we got in there. And we, we, instead of spending a lot of time in the studio, in, in a, we... We use the same money to hire a better studio and a better engineer. Bob Standard worked a miracle on that record after the first Gaja, the first Scott Flaws record. Um, the thing is, like, that was where I was coming from, is to rehearse, 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 everything down so that you can, you know, use the money economically and, and you know, less time in a better studio was, was my philosophy. Then I, then I go out to Chicago, and this studio was nice. I'm not remembering the name of the studio now, but I was uh, I was flabbergasted that the band set up, got their sounds, and then they're like, okay, so I got this idea. It goes kind of like this. And I was like, oh, my God, they're writing songs in the studio. The clock's running. This, you know, this is not, you know, we, we don't have the Beatles budget. We can't do that. The Beatles are the first band that really messed it up for everyone else in the studios because... Uh, or because they're the ones who could spend as much time as they want. They could show up and decide, oh, I have this idea. Right. That's, that was, you know, I was appalled by that idea, by, by that, that, that manner of working, you know? 
I'm like, man, I, you know, composing in, in, in a group and stuff. But I was, I was really against it. Um, so I saw, oh man, I got my work cut out for me here. <laughs> and, and but you know, I just went along with it, and um, they, you know, it, it came together faster than I expected. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. But there was a lot of work going into it, a lot of work going in, and I remember that I had, you know, I think we were there until the. I think I had three or four hours before I had to get to the airport. It was like three or four in the morning. I had to be out at eight, and we worked right up until the end. And I wow. grabbed the tapes and got on the plane and got back to New York to mix it. Wow. It was it was tremendous amount of work for me and for them. Um, luckily, the sounds were good, and, uh, and mixing at Coyote Studios in Brooklyn was, you know, always always a treat for me. Yeah. That was a, that was a great place. And and I listen back to that record now after forgetting all about how hard it was to make it, and I really enjoy it. I really enjoyed the, the tunes, the performances, the sounds. Um, you know, it's it's not the way I was used to making a record, and I just had to let a lot of things go. You know, as far as uh, my my preconceived notions, you know, my prejudice against that style of creation. And I'm glad I did, man. I'm glad that, you know, I listen back. It's one of my favorites. All right. So we're, of course, in Montreal. Thank you. 
person in Montreal, and I'd be remiss to not spend a good amount of time talking about this album by uh, a dearly beloved Montreal band, Gangster Politics. Um, so this was their self-titled album, came out, it was a joint production between Stomp Records here in Montreal and Moon Sky Records, came out in 1998. Uh, I believe it was their second full-length album, and maybe the last album they ever did. You, of course, were the producer. Tell us about, yeah, Gangster Politics, self-titled, 1998. That one, that was a record, man, that was a challenge for me because it was, uh, it was made during that major blackout in Montreal. I mean, there was like, you know, half of meter of ice on the sidewalk Holy shit. and <laughs> wait wait and I, I gotta tell you i gotta tell you one really funny story before so like at at, at our radio station ckut um we've been broadcasting non-stop for almost 30 years now but the only extended period that we ever went off the air was during that ice storm so there <sighs> might be this whole confluence of different factors but uh anyways go on <laughs> Oh yeah, it was so. So, I think for me, the first challenge was the ice mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> for making that record. But miraculously, um, where we stayed, the apartment where the band was living and hanging out, still had light, still had power, wow. and the studio still had power. Wow. Everything in between, everything in between was blacked out. Wow. It was just uh, uh, so that was pretty amazing. That was amazing great great musicians in that band uh morgan really blew me away the bass player um they all they all really put a lot into it uh another another new thing for me was that was the first record i made that was the first digital record digital production i've ever done it wasn't completely digital i believe the mix was done if not in montreal actually i believe the mix was done there yes so that was that was my first all digital production and that was a challenge for me but the you know at the time I was still working with engineers I was working more in the traditional role of the producer as being the liaison between uh, uh, between the engineer and the band so I tell the engineer what the band needs and I tell the band what the what is technically possible and, and we work it out with the time that we have they were great. They were these guys had so much energy. They would never, you know, they were they were, uh, you know, they were they were fearless. <laughs> they got in there, and and they were they were well rehearsed too. I have to say, these guys were already, you know, had been playing this music, and and uh, you know, they didn't they didn't have to take too much time getting their ideas down in the studio. You know, they they they, they went in with arrangements and everything. I mean, that made it easy. It's a very...
plastic glass and take my advice, don't act too fast. You gotta shine when you're under the kind of runs throughout that you would hear in a lot of ska at the time too like uh i don't know make me think of bands like let's go bowling or uh you know that whole like two-tone kind of like we're wearing suits we got the sunglasses on kind of aesthetic um but then also just a lot of really amazing like jazz standards in there like they got i think some like sonny Rollins standards on this album uh, john coltrane mr pc so like yeah, yeah very cool sound yeah, I think they had the right idea as far as um, who to be who to be listening to and whose who's tunes to be playing. Um, I think with them, there was more like they were, yeah, it's something like what you said. They were blending jazz with with a a, a later a later ska, like a more of a two tone ska. So that's that was probably their what what that was probably their uh, uh, signature is that. Um, they were their version of Scott Jazz wasn't you know, um, they weren't they, they weren't drawing as much from the Jamaican Scott mm, right so that that's probably what what helped with that to make their fusion different than other bands mm-hmm. <clears throat> man that that is crazy that you were up here during the ice storm recording that because that that's still like a period of history that, that people in Montreal to this day talk about so much you know like, wow. <laughs> I, I won't forget it that that'll be 20 years next year right yeah i mean it's funny like even for me like i was in montreal visiting my grandma in the hospital and everyone knew it was coming it was like the big storm and and like i said i was living in toronto at the time and i was i was in the city with my parents and we were just like okay we got to get the fuck out now because shit is gonna hit the fan and sure enough, it's like, uh, yeah, a storm that paralyzed uh, basically the whole south of Quebec for a couple weeks. And amazing that you guys put together this record in that period. 
yeah, right that week. It was, wow. <laughs> you know, certainly, no, we weren't planning on it, but, uh, and I went up, uh, I think I, I went by bus. Wow. So that was, uh, that was tricky as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I have such a great memory of that time because, um, you know, the, the studio was really good. The engineer was super helpful. The band, these guys were, were quite a bit younger than me and, and full of energy. Oh, and they introduced me to The Prisoner. I don't know if you know this old 60s English series called The oh. Prisoner. Um, I, it would take too long to get into it. It's not exactly, it's kind of a spy thing, but not, but a lot more surreal. Um, anyway, I, uh, it, it was perfect for us because we were pretty much locked into this apartment, you know, sub-zero, way sub-zero temperatures and no, nothing to do but to, to sit tight until the studio opened again. Wow. <laughs> and uh, and watching, I watched every episode of The Prisoner. I learned a lot. Well, just knowing that that was recorded during the ice storm, I think is really going to change my perception of that record and, and how I listen to it for years to come. Because uh, it's still one of my favorites too. So it's it's a very cold record. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, Montreal is a very cold place. So so there you go. Um, last album I wanted to talk about that you produced before we get into talking about your own music. Uh, is a band that might be a bit more familiar to some of our listeners, the Slackers, of course, from New York City. And uh, I'll just say right now, they're actually playing up in Montreal. They're doing a free outdoor show as part of the Pooza Fest. Uh, I believe the date is May the twenty, May the nineteenth, if I'm not mistaken. They're going to be at the. Um, at the Place des Festivals. What's really cool about this tour that they're doing right now is they're playing their whole album Red Light uh, from start to finish. So that's one of their classic albums. I mean, the Slackers have a ton of albums. I, I believe Red Light was their second full length they put out. But the one I wanted to talk with you about, again, one that you produced, is their debut full length. came out on Moon Sky Records. I want to say 1996, if I'm, I'm... I'm just, like, looking at the actual... Yeah, 1996, according to the CD. Um, you did the production on that. Of course, the Slackers went on to become a global phenomenon. Uh, listening to this first album, Better Late Than Never, it's got kind of like that that signature Slacker sound on it that they would go on to like I think define them over their what is it now 25 almost 30 year career um, but and but they've changed their sound a lot in the last few years but go go back take us back and, and tell us about better late than never and, and what that was like that record was uh, better late than never was a, a fantastic opportunity for me um, to work as a producer with this band work directly with Vic Ruggiero and, and the boys because I already knew these guys um, so there was that uh, working in a really nice studio that I you know my first time working at Coyote Studios and that would become uh, a hub for a lot of productions in the 90s you know uh, but I think what's interesting is is the way like the, the slackers had already been around for years and they were they were like a garage soul ska, you know. They drew more from two tones sometimes, 
Um, but there was no jazz in there, right. really. You're talking Speak about of. like when they used to be called the Nods and like that that kind of sound they played. Sure, sure. And, and then even when when I saw perhaps the first Slacker show, I, I may have I may have been there, and it was just a trio. Hmm. It was Louis, Louis on the drums, Vic on guitar singing, and and Marcus on the bass. Wow. And that was it. But I had seen them before that, and it was a much bigger band. They they, they kept growing or. No, actually, no. I'm sorry. Before that, before that trio, there were there was a band called the Ray Bees. There were the Nods, um, Sick and Mad, uh, more more punk aesthetic, right? You know, and this is something that they would go back to later in their career, more more to up these days. But the big difference that happened was when Dave Hilliard joined the band. Mm. Dave Hilliard, Dave Hilliard had been playing with Hepcat on the West Coast, and he moved to New York tenor sax player right. and uh which you know that's that's it's gonna happen you know you, you play tenor sax long enough and you get good enough and uh new york just sort of like draws you like a, a moth like a flame <laughs> you know yeah. it's gonna happen i mean it's always happened that way right so i mean you you can you can learn lessons from the guy playing on the subway platform in new york uh -huh. for free right so there were you know that's where you go um, so he had a profound influence on the band. The band had, you know, no one seen for a couple months, and then the next time they came back to play, they were already taking themselves way more seriously. Um, and and the jazz influence was there, and, and some instrumental tunes coming in, and 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 the skiat they, they were playing was much more. Um, Respectful to the original Scatolite sound, to the Jamaican ska, and they seem to have sort of, you know, put the two-tone idea to the side. It was an amazing transformation to see that band before and after Dave Hilliard. So going into going into uh, um, Coyote to make that record was for me it was like, oh my god, we totally have to, you know, everybody was excited about this band. Everyone was excited about the sound. And uh, uh, it was a fantastic opportunity. I think, you know, I, I'm really lucky to have been involved on that record. And then, of course, like, I'm glad you brought up Dave Hilliard, their sax player, because um, we'll be hearing some music by Dave Hilliard, like, you know, throughout this program. Of course, like, his own project, uh, Dave Hilliard and the Rocksteady 7, which is also still going, I think, really was part of, like, that defining ska jazz sound and uh, just a hugely important band I mean Dave Hilliard such an incredibly talented sax player but like all the individual musicians in that band I would always be blown away like whenever they would take a solo like whether it be like you know Vic on the organ uh, you know even Glenn on the trombone it's like they're, they're, they're musicians of the highest caliber there's no other way to say it yeah yeah actually for me I think um uh, uh, for me, David's, Dave Hilliard's real strength is, is in his tunes. You know, he has written some tunes that just, you know, have deeply affected me. And I can't say they've influenced me or inspired me because I don't write like that. But uh, it's so great to hear it. And it's so great to, like, you know, share a conversation with him backstage sometimes and think that, wow, you know, jazz still lives somehow. You know, like, that's that's pretty cool 
So. the 19th doing an outdoor show for free so it's i think it'll probably be the first time they've ever done a free show here in montreal and and they're going to be playing the whole album red light front to back which is some of their early materials so if you want to get a sense of that like old slacker sound go check out that show and it'll be phenomenal uh we're still on the line with uh victor rice right now who's down in sao paulo brazil uh, musician, producer, and you know, Victor. Just before we let you go, I want to talk a little bit about some of your own work. 
you have a new album that's coming out pretty soon called Smoke. Uh, tell us a little bit about this. I'm really psyched about this record. It's been a long time coming. Um, it's been 15 years since my last one. And, uh, and a lot of that has to do with moving to Brazil and getting caught up in the music scene here. First, a little bit as a bass player, but now, you know, for the last 10 years, you know, as a mixer, mix engineer, and more recently, I'm getting back into full productions. Um, and, and during this, I also started working on a, a, a dub show uh, and some dub music, um, which is, for me, is still improvising because I bring, I do the remixes live on stage. I bring a mixing desk and a lot of studio equipment and eight-track tape machine, you know, so it's still analog situation. And I get to improvise with the arrangements, but I've been missing um, a band, playing with a band, again, playing bass in a band. And a lot of my compositions that I've been putting down started, you know, I started to see some consistency. And so in 2013... I was in Belgium hanging out with my friend Nico Leonard, another ska producer and, and uh, has a studio there in Chalois, Belgium. And, uh, and I saw an opportunity to, to realize, you know, more than, more than, you know, almost a dozen songs out of my, uh, out of my notebooks. And so I, I just put together a group, uh, comprised of many members of a group that I produced in Belgium called the Moon Invaders. Right. And I did work with them in the early 2000s. Um, and also Rolf, the trumpet player from my band in New York, because I had, by the time I left New York in 2002, I had an octet, and we'd been doing my book from the first two records. So, you know, I had missed that you know, playing with a band. I had a chance to play with a band one time in Brazil, you know, play my book, and it was it was really fun, and I started feeling like a desire to do that again. Mm-hmm. So there I am in and Belgium. Then, of course, up in Montreal as well, you played with a band uh, for the Montreal Ska Festival. That was pretty cool. Yes. That was, man, killer, killer band. In fact, one song that I wrote with them in mind is actually on this new record nice. called Tema. Um, the... So I, when I was in Belgium, I saw, you know, I had the studio. Nico's a great drummer. Um, Rolf, the trumpet player, was, was in, was living in Brussels at the time, still is. He moved to Brussels right around the time I moved to Brazil. So I knew I had the horn section leader. And I just started putting together all the other pieces, you know. Um, Mr. T-Bone, who's a trombone player from Italy, he got to, uh, you know, got to be on this one. Paul Gephardt, who I've been playing with and writing for since, you know, late 80s with the Scott Flaws on through till now, uh, alto sax player living in New York. We got to get him on the record. And the new talent for me was Tommy Tornado, new to me. He's a Dutch uh, uh, tenor player. Yeah, who seeing his really a lot. Man, he's, you know, the first time I heard him play a solo on some record, I was like, who's that? And they're like, oh, it's Tommy. It's like, man, just, you know, it's like understated, very, very intelligent uh, maneuvers. And, and I knew, I was like, this is the guy that can play my changes. This is the guy that can, 
you know, make sense of my uh, of some of these funny chord changes I'm doing. More than somebody from a Jamaican background, he had the jazz, you know, sound and and, uh, and he, he for me he brought you know the Stan Getz to the project. So uh, so I got to mix, I got to record everything there, um, strictly analog, tape machine, you know, ribbon microphones, and I brought. That was in that was in 2013. And then in 2014, I started mixing it here in Brazil in the studio I built down here in Sao Paulo. So for me, it's a, 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 I'm really excited to be putting out a record of instrumentals again. Horn arrangements, you know, it's, it's something that, you know, I haven't done in a long time. And I miss doing it. And I'm really excited about having this happen. Nice. And I mean, it's like one thing that's pretty cool is reading through uh, the liner notes for this record is... You know, as you were saying, you, you recorded it with like a lot of like ska and, and, and jazz musicians. One thing that I hadn't realized is that like, of course, since living in Brazil, so many Brazilian styles and genres have rubbed off on you, have had a big influence. So can you talk a little bit about like how living in Brazil, living in Sao Paulo, how that's influenced your sound? Oh man, tremendously, tremendously. Although I should say that I did not decide to move to Sao Paulo because of the music. That was, it, was, it, was, it was the people that I had met down here that really had the strongest influence on me. Wow. So when New York stopped being cool, uh, <laughs> you know, 9-11, <laughs> I left and I knew where I wanted to be. I, wanted, I didn't know what I would do down here, but I knew where I wanted to be. So everything else just was a result of that. Um, luckily, I had played a lot of Bossa and, and, uh, and MPB in school and in, um, in cocktail bands in, in Long Island in the, in the 90s, so I knew a lot of the tunes, so I was able to get work pretty quickly. Huh. And so that, that was cool for a while, but what happened later was that I started mixing some reggae groups down here. And that's, that sort of took off, that sort of, by the time... Um, that was around 2004, 2005, I started putting pieces together to put uh, uh, my own studio together, but also working in a studio down here. Mm-hmm. So I have to say, like, the Brazilian influence on my music is, has been a, more of osmosis than me coming down here and, and, you know, diving and digging through vinyl records and, 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 and looking for stuff. I wasn't really looking for anything. It, you know, it kind of found me through the musicians and the music they were listening to. Right and, and what really, what really, you know, kicked my ass down here was samba rock. Samba right. rock is awesome. It's it's like, you know, it's faster than samba, traditional samba. It's a, uh, um, it's a different beat. You know, the dance is almost like the Lindy or something. You know, mm. it's it's like a, a, it's got a certain lightness to it. And and um, and also, I think there's certain more. Uh, it's, it's more simplified, perhaps in, in in the harmony than some of the the, the richer, you know, MPV and bossa nova stuff. I think it was a little more. I don't know. It had this uh, Jamaican quality to it through the harmonic treatment, but also in in the production. Um, these were records made in the 60s and, and they sound to me a lot like sonically like the, what was going on in Jamaica at the same time nice. and, and that became that became my little side project which wound up being a quest 
to uh, uh, create a, a beat, a new beat that we could call Samba Rocksteady. Wow. And the idea being that if a Jamaican heard the beat, they could dance the Rocksteady. If a Brazilian heard the beat, they would dance the Samba Rock. Now, I think it's an impossible goal because uh, the, the tempos are different. So, you, you know, the, the Samba Rock's a little bit faster, maybe maybe only like half a dozen BPM faster than a Rocksteady, you know, than the fastest Rocksteady you've ever heard. You know, the, the difference in tempo isn't so big, but it's enough that you can't really dance the Rocksteady to the Samba Rock, and you can't dance the Samba Rock to the Rocksteady. Right. So as it's an impossible goal... Uh, I know I'll be on it for the rest of my life trying to find it. It's, it's you know, it's, it's the unicorn of beats. And, and that's fine because all the experiments that are yielding great stuff along the way. Nice. The unicorn of beats. So I'm, I'm excited to hear that if it's ever found. <laughs> Amazing. And uh, lastly, when can we expect that album to be out? Well, it looks like Smoke is going to be out on the 1st of October. That's the plan. Going straight to vinyl. There will be downloads as well. And I hope to be supporting the record. Looks like I'll be in uh, Europe at the time. I'll be on the continent putting the band together and and playing shows out there. Really excited about it. The, um, the official announcement, Easy Star Records will officially announce in June about this record. So... I'm really excited that they're putting this out because this is a different label than your typical Sky label. This is more of a reggae label, first of all. But the big difference is that um, with Sky labels like uh, Moon and Jump Up and Grover, they're very fo- very much focused on aggregating titles and, and, uh, and building up an enormous catalog of artists. And that's that, that comes from a punk rock aesthetic, I believe. Whereas... Easy Star, these guys, you know, talk about a tight group of people that don't have a band of their own. So it's, there's no uh, conflict of interest in that sense. You know, these are not labels run by bands. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, they conduct themselves differently. They're more like curators as opposed to aggregators. They're very picky about what goes out. And uh, so I was just thrilled that uh, all, you know, all of them enjoy the record enough that they, they want to put it out. So nice. um, that's, that's, you know, for me, that's already a really big uh, vindication. I feel, I feel vindicated, man. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing that. And once again, we've been on the line with Victor Rice, joining us from Sao Paulo, Brazil musician and producer extraordinaire of ska jazz victor thank you so much for being with us today aaron thank you so much amazing all right have a good one you too boss ciao All right, 9.32 p.m. You are still tuned in to Jazzy Forum here, CKUT 90.3 FM. My name is Aaron. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Victor Rice. As he was saying, the brand new album, his first in 15 years, is going to be out next October on Easy Star Records. It's called Smoke. And here is a little bit of a taste off of that album unreleased material right here probably into your ears for the first time ever 
this is Motion Study 2 from Victor Rice on Jazz Euphorium. Enjoy. Experimental music lovers, you don't want to miss trumpet player Jamie Branch and her quartet. 
Jamie recently emerged in the New York scene and is playing Montreal on May 5th. She will be performing at La Vitrola, 4602 Celeron. With her will be Jane Kin from Montreal. Tickets are available at swaneepearlpopolo.org. This is a Swaney Pearl Popolo and CKUT co-presentation. Kermaha presents their spring concert, Que Tourne la Roue, Friday and Saturday, May 12th and 13th, at the one and only Mainline Theatre on Boulevard Saint-Laurent. After 25 years with the legendary Kathy Kennedy, Maha begins a new musical chapter under the direction of Solène Derbal. Laissez-vous donc tournoyer entre l'espace et le temps, entre la tradition et le renouveau, et dans un voyage à travers les langues et les styles musicaux les plus éclectiques. Tickets available at mainlinetheater.ca. Pour plus de détails, visitez notre site web coeurmaha.org. A CKUT co-production. All right, welcome back to Jazz Euphorium on CKUT 90.3 FM and always streaming live online at ckut.ca where you can also uh, download the podcasts of all your favorite programs as well. My name is Aaron and uh, very happy to be with you all this evening. want to thank again our guest on the program, Victor Rice, for joining us all the way from Sao Paulo, Brazil. So nice to catch up with him. Uh, you know, had a chance to meet him, see his music a few times when he's been up here in Montreal, most notably for the Montreal Skafest. Uh, he's been up in the past few years. And also, you know, I have like a debt of gratitude to him because he composed the theme music for the show I used to do here at CKUT Roots Rock Rebel every Wednesday night starting at uh, 10 o'clock. And uh, speaking of that, we have uh, just over 20 minutes left in the show. So we're going to get back to some more music stat. And uh, we were mentioning the show earlier, but uh, it's a show that I would really highly encourage you all to go check out, whether you're a jazz head or a ska head or just a lover of good music in general. The Slackers from New York City legendary band that have been doing their thing for well over 25 years are going to be playing a free outdoor show at the Place des Festivals uh, for the Pusa Festival, which is a punk rock festival, but there's some really interesting stuff in there. So maybe if you're not a punk fan, maybe set your judgment of punk aside just for the evening and head down to the corner of Maisonneuve and Clark on Friday, May 19th, and you can check out this band for free. They're going to be playing at 10 o'clock. So hey, if you don't like it, you can just leave. And if you do like it, well, it'll probably be a pretty amazing discovery because the Slackers are also an amazing band to see live. So we're going to hear another cut from them. This is Calypso Jazz right here from the Slackers. Do enjoy. Thank you. 
This is probably uh, the most straight-up jazz thing we've heard on the show all evening. Some music from a band called The Blue Greens right here out of New York City. This tune is called Hard Times. And on the tenor saxophone right there, you just heard Dave Hilliard, who, of course, is the sax player of The Slackers as well and quite a few other projects. As Victor Rice is saying, such a hugely influential figure uh, in the global ska movement but someone who maybe wouldn't even consider himself to be very much of a ska player just because of all his jazz influences and of course jazz influences is the name of the game this evening here on jazz euphorium looking at the jazz roots of ska and reggae so i hope you've been enjoying it uh you know pure jazz might not be my field of expertise but Having done a Sky radio show here at CKUT for almost 10 years, uh, I feel a little bit more comfortable kind of uh, in that field. So it's, it's always a pleasure to be able to bring those two fields together in a beautiful musical melee. We are going to uh, come back to Montreal for a little bit. Um, you know, it brought me great joy to talk with Victor Rice about gangster politics Maybe some of you out there listening right now remember that band. 
who would play here in Montreal in the 90s and probably stopped their run in the early 2000s, but uh, not before putting out a couple really amazing albums. Well, another band that had a great run here in Montreal in the ska scene was General Rudy. And uh, they were playing up until about 2006, I believe. Always had a really solid jazz sound, even though I think they would kind of categorize themselves maybe more in the traditional ska, first wave of ska vein of things. But we're going to hear a cut off of uh, a great album of theirs from 2001 called Cooling the Mark on Stomp Records. We're going to hear Sunday Drive. Enjoy. So this is what happens when you own CDs is they only last so long. I'm a huge proponent of like physical media, but damn, damn. I just, I see it. I'm looking at the CD player right now. It hates me. I hate it. It's working so hard. It's like, I want to play you that general Rudy track, but I don't think it's going to happen. Well, okay. Let's, that's unfortunate. Um, I might try to pull up an MP3 of that somewhere because it's probably online somewhere. But in the meantime, let's go over to the Netherlands and we're going to hear from the Rotterdam Sky Jazz Foundation. This is a tune called Mayar Posta and a tune that I would probably actually almost put more in like the klezmer ska vein of things. I hope you enjoy this one.
All right, well, my apologies again that we couldn't get that Jenna Rudy CD working, but here is, again, from Montreal Gangster Politics, doing a John Coltrane tune. This is Mr. PC on Jazzy Forum, CKUT. Just about out of here on a Jazz Euphorium CKUT. My name is Aaron. Thank you so much for listening. We'll leave you with this one. This is a brand new one from the Kingston All-Stars. An amazing coming together of some of Jamaica's finest musicians, including the dynamic duo of Sly and Robbie. Amazing, influential rhythm section. Jackie Johnson on bass. Mikey Mao Chung on guitar. 
Ansel Collins as well of Dave and Ansel Collins fame on keyboard. And it was all produced by Montreal's own Moss Raxlin. This is a tribute to Kebra Hi-Fi. I want to send again a huge thank you and shout out to our special guest, Victor Rice, for having joined us all the way from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Well, we got him on Skype, you know, but <laughs> he didn't really have to travel that far. But nonetheless, thank you so much for making time on the program. Hope you all out there have enjoyed our adventures through the explorations of the jazz roots of ska and reggae. And do, of course, stay tuned for Low Signal coming up at 10 o'clock.